He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. If you'll join with me in prayer. Lord God, we exalt you that that is our king. Lord Jesus, we praise you. You came to earth humble and meek, mild. You came to serve, and yet you are the king of heaven and earth. We praise you that now you are exalted above the heavens, that you are at the right hand of the Father, that you are king of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you that this morning we get to gather together and worship you and praise you and lift your name high. Lord, we pray that in our lives that you would be made famous. We pray that we would honor you and exalt you as king. Lord God, we pray that this morning that everything that we think, that everything that we do would be an honorable, honoring sacrifice to you because you are worthy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our king who died for us. Thank you for the events that we celebrate on Easter. We worship and praise you that you were too strong for death, that you rose from the dead, and that you give us hope even in the face of death. We pray that as we enter into your word that you would give us understanding through your almighty spirit, that you would open our eyes that you would help us to comprehend the significance of your death and resurrection. Thank you so much for this morning. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, I'd like to start this morning by just giving you an update on what we'll be up to the next few weeks. Uh, Next two weeks, Brian Fisher, our senior pastor, will be here with you all at Southwood. I'll be over at Anderson preaching. He'll be Uh, Walking you through the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, so you're welcome to read up ahead of time. It's a really, really great study. Um, For those of you who've been praying for me, I was going to let you know after that, so about two weeks from now, I am going to have to have uh, another big surgery on my eye, my right eye, I can't see out of it. Um, So I'll have surgery, I'll be out for a week. Um, That surgery will be followed six months to a year later by another surgery, and it won't be till then if we know whether it worked. So I would really appreciate your prayers that the surgeons would have success. It's kind of an experimental procedure, so we don't really know if it'll work or not. So anyways, if you'll be praying for me, that would be great. Well, the video you just saw, the voice behind that video is a guy named S.M. Lockridge. He was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego for decades. And boy, the man can preach. He has accurate theology and an incredible voice. I've watched that video 20 times, and I still get goosebumps every time I watch it. The man is an incredible preacher. It's a very hard act to follow coming up here. I was not gifted with a voice like him. Uh, I've been saving that video for you. Actually, I, I encountered it a long time ago, but I was saving it for this week. 
That video is perfect for this week because that video is all about Easter. Contrary to popular opinion, Easter is not about a big bunny. It's not about colored eggs. It's not about candy. It's not about fancy new clothes. It's not about a big dinner with your family. It's not even about coming to church with your family. Easter is about a person. Easter is about a person named Jesus, who the Bible calls the Christ, God's appointed King and Savior for the world. Easter is about what that person, Jesus, did for us some 2,000 years ago on that first Good Friday and first Easter Sunday. Now, this semester, we have been going through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we have been learning from Jesus' teaching and example. We've covered a lot of subjects. We've covered forgiveness, prayer, submission to authority, how to use our money, uh, among other things. Well, this morning, we're going to take it up a notch. Not that those subjects aren't important, but we're going to talk about the most important subject of all. This morning we are going to learn from the Gospels about the most significant events in all of human history. We're going to learn from the Gospels about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn from the Gospels, from Jesus himself, about the significance and the meaning of his death and resurrection. So we'll start with the first of those. What do the Gospels teach us about the death and of Jesus Christ. Well, if you were here earlier this semester, we walked through some passages to discover why did Jesus come to earth? And we learned that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago to be king, to be king of Israel, king of the world. He came offering himself as king. That's where all four gospels begin, Jesus offering himself as king. But if you know the account of the gospels, if you know the biography of Jesus, you know that that intention was not yet realized. You know, that rather than accepting their king, the nation rejected their king. They had him arrested and crucified. So did the plan of God fail in the Gospels? Did the wheels come off the ministry of Jesus when he was nailed to the cross? Well, absolutely not. The first thing the Gospels reveal to us about the death of Jesus is that it was planned by God. It was part of God's eternal plan that Jesus would head to the cross. It's important to realize that the cross did not in any way catch God or Jesus by surprise. It was not a surprise that Jesus was nailed to the cross. Jesus actually prepared his disciples ahead of time. He knew that he was headed to the cross. In many passages throughout the Gospels, Jesus says something to this effect. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Jesus spoke ahead of time about his death because he knew it was coming. He knew that it was an eternal part of God's plan. Now, some days after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven, his disciple Peter was speaking to the crowds in Jerusalem and he says something very significant in Acts chapter 2 verse 23 Peter says of Jesus this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death in other words yes it was godless men who chose to put Jesus on the cross and yet their actions were not outside of the foreknowledge and predetermined plan of God. God knew from eternity past that those men would crucify Jesus. In fact, God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit worked together to craft this plan for human history long before humans ever came on the scene. And in that plan, the centerpiece of that plan had Jesus going to the cross. The cross was not in any way a surprise to Jesus. 
His death on the cross was an essential part of the plan of God from eternity past. It was a part of the plan of God that Jesus willingly chose. He's God the Son. He was there when the plan was made. Jesus tells us in John 10, No one takes my life away from me. I give it up of my own free will. I have the right to give it up and I have the right to take it back. This is what my Father has commanded me to do. In other words, no one could take Jesus' life without Jesus' permission. When he went to the cross, he was not compelled to the cross. He was not forced to the cross. There's a book coming out here pretty soon. I I saw the pre-orders on Amazon by a popular Christian author. And in this book, he is giving us a new version of Christianity for the 21st century. He's revealing a new take on Christianity. I was reading through some of the excerpts and he, he says a number of very troubling things. And among those troubling things, he says his view of the cross is that Jesus died as a victim on the cross. That the cross is about Jesus, about God identifying with the victims of the world. It is the victimhood of God. Well, let me tell you in no uncertain terms, Jesus was not a victim on the cross. Jesus did not die on the cross because he was a victim of evil men. Jesus died on the cross because of the sovereign God of heaven and earth. He chose willingly, freely to lay his life down. That's what the cross is about. His sovereign, free choice to lay his life down out of love. It is love that motivated Jesus to die. He was not compelled. He was not forced. He freely, out of love, laid his life down. He says in John 15, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus went to the cross not because he was compelled, not because he was forced, but because out of love, he freely, willingly chose to lay down his life for us. Jesus chose the cross. It was his choice to make. He freely chose the cross. It was part of his eternal plan for human history. But just because Jesus chose the cross doesn't mean he was looking forward to it. That's the second thing we learn from the Gospels about the death of Jesus. It was painful. It was unimaginably painful for Jesus. Jesus, unlike all of us, he knew ahead of time exactly how he was going to die. He knew from day one that his life was going to end in crucifixion. He, He knew not only when he would die, but the method of his death. And like all people living in first century Roman Empire, Jesus would have been familiar with Roman crucifixion. It was relatively common. It's likely that Jesus saw crucifixion at some point in his life. He knew the steps of Roman crucifixion. He knew that it began with the prisoner being stripped naked to shame him in front of the community. Then the prisoner would be scourged with leather whips that had lead balls and shrapnel of bone impregnated in the end. And, and they'd hit him not just on the back but on the front till all the flesh all around his torso was laid open. And then they'd put the crossbar of his crucifix on his back and be, be led outside the city uh, and nailed to the cross. And, and uh, unlike popular images, he wasn't nailed through the hands. The nail would rip out. He was nailed through the wrists and through the ankle. And, and when they nailed him in the ankle, they bent his legs about 90 degrees so they couldn't carry any weight on his legs. All of his weight would hang on his wrists. And because of all that weight hanging on his wrists, it put incredible pressure on his chest and diaphragm so that after hours or even days of hanging, he would finally die of either coronary failure or suffocation. Jesus knew that was the fate awaiting him. He knew the pain. He saw the pain that was coming, and it terrified him. We have this incredible passage in 
Luke chapter 22, last night before he is arrested, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives and he prays. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup, this cup of suffering, the cross from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Yes, Jesus is fully God, and yet Jesus is also fully human. In the humanity of Jesus, at the thought of the crucifixion, cried out to God the Father, is there any other way? Can I possibly be spared from this fate? Jesus knew the agony that awaited him. And yet out of love for us, he willingly chose to go to the cross. He followed the Father's plan and experienced all of those steps of crucifixion. He experienced all of that physical pain. And yet when we read the gospel accounts, I think it becomes clear that the physical pain of crucifixion was not the worst pain Jesus experienced that day. The worst pain of the crucifixion was actually spiritual. Matthew twenty-seven forty-six: as Jesus is dying about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, as Jesus hung on the cross, God placed upon him all of the sin of all human beings of all time. All sin sat on Jesus. And we know clearly from scripture, God cannot look at sin with favor. And so while Jesus hung on the cross, God the Father had to turn his back on the Son. Out of necessity, the Father had to separate himself for the Son. The the cross is the place where the Trinity was fractured for a time. The perfect fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit was broken for a time at the cross because Jesus was covered with our sin. That is the greatest pain of the cross for Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus presented unparalleled pain to God. God experienced unprecedented pain pain at the cross that begs the question for us why did God choose the cross why did the eternal plan of God go through the cross why was the cross necessitated and that gives us the third and final thing I want us to learn about the death of Jesus from the gospels the death of Jesus was payment for sin in John chapter 1 we're told the next day he that is John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, throughout the Bible, God speaks to us as our king and as our creator, and and as such, he reveals to us his expectations of human beings. He reveals to us his moral standards for us that that, uh, govern our our actions and our words and our thoughts and even our, our attitudes. Now, when we violate that moral standard, when we do or say or think something that is not in alignment with God's moral standard, that's what a sin is. That's the biblical definition of sin. It's to miss the standard that God has revealed. So what is the standard of God? What does he expect of us? Well, the Bible talks about that in many places. One of the most famous is, of course, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Let me just read a couple excerpts from the Sermon on the Mount for you. What is this standard of God? Well, here's what Jesus said of it. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. 
further down. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And further down, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, it's, it's not hard to see the, the standard that Jesus reveals is, is pretty dang high. Very, very high standard of behavior that God expects from us. It's summarized in Matthew 5, 48, about midway through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What is God's expectation of us? Moral perfection. He expects us to be perfect in action, in word, in thought, in attitude. He expects perfection of us, complete moral perfection. Well, by that definition, I think it's pretty obvious that all of us are sinners. All of us have missed the mark of moral perfection that God expects. All of us are sinners, and that sin has serious consequences. That sin is a serious problem for us. Let's go outside the Gospels for just a second to Romans chapter 1. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, wrath, that's not really a word you want to hear on Sunday morning. Wrath is not really a word we like to talk about, especially here it is Easter, and Blake's talking about wrath. Um, I think maybe one of the reasons that Easter has become associated with like bunnies and colored eggs and candy is because we don't really want to talk to our kids about what it really is about. We don't want to talk about sin and death and the wrath of God against sin. Wrath is not a fun thing, but wrath is an essential part of the meaning of Easter. God's wrath is his anger against sin, his just anger against human sin. It's his punishment of human sin. The Bible is clear to us. God must punish human sin. He must exercise wrath against our sin, not because God is mean, not because God is vengeful, but because God is just. Because God is perfectly righteous, he must punish human sin. I I don't know if you guys read in the news, but about two days ago, right across the street here at the Exxon station, 4 a.m., the clerk was murdered. Very rare thing in our community. Clerk was shot and killed. It's interesting, I was reading the story on KBTX, and within hours of his death and that story being posted, there were pages and pages of reader comments, and almost all of them expressed a passionate desire for justice, that his killers would be brought to justice. Well, that's not surprising. That's, that's what all of us want. We want to live in a just world. We want his killers brought to justice. We expect justice. Imagine with me for a moment if these guys are, are caught and they are tried and they are convicted. And then the judge stands up from the bench and he says, you know what, I'm having a great day. I'm feeling really gracious. I'm just going to go ahead and overlook what you guys have done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overlook your, this murder that you've committed. I'm going to let you go. Bailiff, take off their handcuffs. You guys are free to go. Have a nice day. How would we respond to that? We'd kick that judge to the curb in a hurry. We would revolt against a government that let murderers go free because we expect justice. We demand justice. Well, if we expect justice of a human judge, how much more must we expect justice of a divine judge? God is a perfectly just judge. He must punish human sin. Oh, but, but wait a minute, those, those guys committed murder. That's way worse than what any of us have done, right? Wrong. What did we just read? In the eyes of God, the person who hates another person is just as guilty as the person who murders. Pride, lust, 
hatred, selfishness. These are all capital offenses in the economy of God, in the universe of God. All of these are punishable by God's wrath. For that reason, all of us are sinners, so all of us are under the wrath of God. All of us deserve God's punishment for our sins. We have violated his standards. We deserve his punishment. For that reason, as you read the Old Testament, you will see over and over again, the people of God, the Israelites, are constantly sacrificing animals to try to escape the punishment of God. That's what the animal sacrifice system is about. They're putting to death bulls and goats and lambs in an effort to cover over their sins, in an effort to escape the the just punishment of God. And yet, we know very clearly from Scripture, the blood of animals cannot fix a human problem. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament would really serve the purpose of just pointing them forward to God's final solution to human sin, which is Jesus. God would send a perfect sacrifice, not an animal, but a person, Jesus. He is our perfect sacrifice. That's what John the Baptist means, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice who on the cross poured out his blood as payment for our sins. Jesus looked at his death in a similar vein on the last night before his arrest. At the last supper when he's with his disciples, He says in Matthew 26, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood is what makes forgiveness possible. Remember, God can't overlook sin. He must punish sin. And so, out of grace, out of love, Jesus stepped forward in front of us and he took our punishment in our place. That's what the cross is. It's God taking our punishment in our place. At the cross, God poured out all of his wrath, all of his just anger and punishment against sin. He poured it out, but not on us, but on our substitute, on Jesus. That's what the cross is about. It's about God taking our place, taking our punishment so that we could be forgiven. Now, about 800 years before Jesus showed up, God promised us, he prophesied to us in the book of Isaiah that that's exactly what Jesus would do. One of the most famous passages in all of scripture, Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This right here, this is why we have the right to call Friday Good Friday. And Good Friday is a celebration of a crucifixion. How can that be good? Because it was a crucifixion in our place. Because at the cross, God himself, Jesus, the son of God, took upon himself all of our transgressions, our sins, our iniquities, and he died in our place. He took our punishment in our place. That's why it's Good Friday. Now, really, the only reason that Good Friday, though, can be called good is because we know what happened three days later. We know what happened today, Sunday. If the biography of Jesus, if the story of Jesus' life had actually ended on Good Friday, ended with his crucifixion and death, then really we shouldn't call it Good Friday at all. If the biography of Jesus ended with his death, then this is actually a very, very sad day for us. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. 
He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, if he was not resurrected, then what is the most powerful force in the universe? Is it God? No. It's sin and death, because even God would be subject to sin and death if Jesus did not rise from the dead. If Jesus did not rise, then we have a weak God and we have no hope. That's why the resurrection is absolutely essential. It is a cornerstone of Christian doctrine. If Jesus did not rise from the dead bodily, then we have no hope and we have a weak God. That's why all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the climax of all four is not the death of Jesus, it's the resurrection of Jesus. All four authors made Jesus' resurrection the climax of their book. Because it's his resurrection that is essential to us. It's his resurrection that gives us hope. It's his resurrection, number one, that proves that Jesus is king. Matthew 28, the end of the chapter, verses 18 through 20. Uh, Many of you are familiar with that passage. We call it the Great Commission. We usually focus on verse 19, go make disciples. Uh, But verse 18 is actually really, really significant. Sometimes we overlook it. Jesus came up and spoke to them, that is his disciples, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, when Jesus says that, that is new information for the disciples. Jesus had never said that before. When did Jesus get all authority over heaven and earth? At the resurrection. He had just risen from the dead. Now he shows up to the disciples and he says, guess what, guys? You thought I was defeated by the cross. Nope, I won. I now have all authority over heaven and earth. I am king of kings. It is the resurrection that crowned Jesus king of kings and Lord of lords. Paul looks at the resurrection in a similar light. Acts 17, he's speaking to Greek philosophers in Athens. And he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, that is Jesus, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is proof to the world that Jesus is king. The resurrection is proof to the world that Jesus will judge all of us. Jesus is is the only human being who has ever been resurrected. Now, uh, let me clarify clarify that for a moment. We we have guys like Lazarus. Lazarus was brought back to life. He he died and he was brought back to life. But what happened later in Lazarus' life? He died. Yeah, that's not resurrection. His life was restored, but he he still got sick. He still got tired. He still experienced pain. He still struggled with sin. And then he died. That's not resurrection. Jesus is different. Jesus rises from the dead never to die again. He rises from the dead victorious over death. He is in a resurrection body. He is in a perfected body. He is free of pain and suffering and weakness. He is perfected. He is glorified. Jesus is the one and only human being who has ever been resurrected. And that is proof that he is king over sin and death and Satan and everyone and everything. Resurrection is essential because it proves that Jesus is king. It's also essential because it proves to us that we have hope even in the face of death. Any culture you look at, any culture around the globe... Every human being fears death. That's just normal. We, we all fear death. Death seems like such a final thing. It, it, it seems uh, very hopeless. And, and worst of all, death is so unknown. We can't go check out death and then come back. We can't go to the other side of death, experience for a bit, and come back and give a report. We can't send anybody over to the other side of death to check it out and come back and report to us what it's like to be dead. We can't do that. It's just unknown. 
We can't do that, but, but Jesus did. Jesus is the one and only human being to ever go experience death and then come back and tell us about it. He went and tasted death. He experienced death. And then he rose from the dead because death was not powerful enough to hold him. And then he spoke to us. He spoke to us from the other side. Jesus is the only human being to ever speak to us from the other side. And what did he say? Well, Matthew 28 starts at the beginning with some of the the women who were followers of Jesus going to visit Jesus' grave on that first Easter morning, first Easter Sunday. And they go to the grave and they find no body. there's, There's no dead body in the grave. Instead, there's an angel who says, Jesus has risen, go tell his disciples. So they go to find the disciples and on their way, they meet Jesus. They meet Jesus alive and well and they fall at his feet to worship him. And what are the first words out of his mouth? The first words that Jesus speaks after rising from the dead, Matthew 28, 10, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. First words from the only guy who's ever seen the other side of death, he comes back and says, do not be afraid. Okay, now their master, the guy that they had given their lives to, had just died a couple days earlier. They had watched him die. They had taken his dead, lifeless body off the cross and put it in the tomb, burying all their hopes. And yet here he is alive and well and says to them, do not be afraid. You don't need to fear death. Death is not final. Death is not master. Death is actually just a doorway into a better experience. Jesus was now resurrected. He enjoyed a perfected body. No sickness, no pain, no suffering ever again. He was free from death. Jesus wants us to understand. Because he rose from the dead, we need not have fear of death. Paul talks about that in Philippians 3. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In other words, we who are followers of Jesus, we don't need to have any fear of death because death is not final for us. Death is just a doorway into a better reality, a better existence where Jesus himself will transform our bodies, will glorify our bodies, will give us resurrected bodies, bodies that are free forever from pain and suffering and sin and sickness and death. That's actually the hope in this whole situation that happened at Exxon across the street. If you read the comments that were made, there's a number of people who commented there who seem to have had a relationship with the man who was murdered. His name was John. And they talk about how John professed to be a Christian. He professed to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that is true, then death was not final for John. If that is true, then as horrible as his murder was, death was actually just a doorway into a better existence for John. John is right now with Jesus Christ in heaven, eagerly anticipating, awaiting the reception of his resurrection body. When Jesus returns to earth, he will give John, he will reward John with a perfected body free of sin and sickness and pain. Death was not the final act of John's story. Because death was not the final act of Jesus' story. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. And that really brings us to the most important part of this Easter message. Most important part of Easter is the realization that the death and resurrection of Jesus are not just significant theologically or historically, but they are significant personally. They are significant to each and every one of us. 
What we need to understand is that when Jesus died on the cross, he was not just dying for sin as an abstract concept. He was dying for your sins personally. He died for all of your sins, past, present, and future, to earn for you forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't just rising to conquer death as an abstract concept. He was rising to conquer death for you so that you could have eternal life, so that you could live forever. And now from heaven, Jesus offers to all of us forgiveness and eternal life if we will simply believe. Verse most of you are very familiar with, but that's perfect for Easter. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All of us are sinners. All of us have violated the standard of God. We have earned God's just wrath, his punishment of our sin. But in grace, out of love for us, God sent his son, Jesus, his perfect son, to step in front of us and take our punishment in our place so that we could be forgiven. And then God raised his son from the dead, conquering sin and death forever for us. And all that we have to do to receive the blessings of what Jesus has done, to receive forgiveness, to receive eternal life, is simply believe. Simply believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus died for your sins. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the good news of Easter. You can be forever freed from the wrath of God, from the punishment of God, if you simply believe that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. Sadly, the vast majority of the human race hasn't figured that out yet. The vast majority of the human race still believes that forgiveness from God and eternal life are something they have to earn. They believe that they have to earn God's favor. They have to earn their their eternity with God in heaven. And so they do lots of good works and they they attend church and they give money to charities out of an effort to to please God, to, to earn their way to God. If that's you, if that's what you've been trying to do, if you have been trying to earn your way to God, if you've been trying to make yourself right with God through your good deeds, through your church attendance, through the money you give away, I have really bad news for you right now. You will never succeed. There is not enough good works you could ever do to earn your way to God. Because no matter what you do, you will still be a sinner who still deserves the punishment of God. But I have really good news for you too. You can forever escape that punishment of God that you deserve. You can escape it right now if you simply abandon your efforts to earn your way to God and instead believe that Jesus already did everything you need. He died on the cross for your sins, all of them, and then he rose from the dead to give you victory over death. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, you are forgiven. You will spend eternity with God in heaven. Now, if what I'm saying to you right now, if it's new, if you've not heard this before, or if it's confusing, you you don't really get it, or if there's something keeping you back, if you just can't go there yet, please, please, please come talk to me or someone else here this morning. We are desperate to help you understand what Easter means to you, the good news that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. That video we watched earlier this morning centered around the question, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? That is the most important question any person will ever answer in this life. Do you know Jesus as your Savior who died for your sins, who took the punishment of God in your place? Do you know Jesus as your King who conquered death for you by rising 
from the dead. That's what Easter's all about. Not colored eggs, not an Easter bunny, not good food, not new clothes. It's about a person. It's about Jesus and what he did for us 2,000 years ago. Let's close by turning to him and thanking him for what he's done for us. Lord God, thank you for the realities of Easter. Thank you that on Good Friday, Jesus Christ willingly, not forcibly, willingly chose to go to the cross out of love for us. He willingly chose to go to the cross in order to pay for our sins. We thank you so much, Jesus, for your willingness to die for us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your willingness to give your Son for, the, for our sins. Thank you for the perfect sacrifice that he was, that his death perfectly paid for all of our sins. Thank you then that three days later on this day, on Easter Sunday, that you raised him from the dead, that death could not hold on to him, that he was too powerful. Thank you that you have conquered sin and death and Satan. Thank you that you are God, that you are the the most powerful force in the entire universe. Thank you for the hope that that gives us, that we too will conquer death, that we too can live forever with you through the eternal life that Jesus has earned for us. Lord, I lift up everyone in this room. I pray for any here who don't yet know Jesus, who don't yet know him as Savior. I pray that you would open their eyes to understand the truth of the gospel. I pray that you would help them see the futility of trying to earn their way to you, of trying to impress you through the things that they do. I pray that they would abandon those efforts and that they would simply cling to Christ that they would believe in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would trust that he has died for them and risen from the dead. I pray for those of us who have made that decision to trust in Jesus for salvation. I pray that for all of us, Lord, that we would live in a manner worthy of the gospel, that we live lives that are thankful to you, that we live lives that, that proclaim your greatness to this world, Lord. I pray that we would be gracious, loving, kind people so that people might see through us the love that you have for us. I pray, Lord, that we would be bold to share the gospel with everyone we meet, for it is the only good news that we have that can save us from our sins. Thank you so much for sending your son to die in our place. Thank you for raising him from the dead. Thank you for the hope that we have because of him. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. Happy Easter.